I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Many thanks, and uh, isn't it good to see the days getting longer as we move towards summer? So, what have you got lined up for today? Well, when I was casting my mind back over earlier podcasts, it's fairly clear that uh, you have ongoing concerns about retail property. Is that generally across the board? You're right, Ken. Uh, Look, I have had ongoing concerns, and it probably been since the global financial crisis when retailing suffered all around Australia. And there have been a few exceptions like cafes and restaurants, but on the whole, the retail sector is still really not in great shape. Before we explore some specific locations around Australia, what do you consider the main causes for this occurring? When the global financial crisis hit back in 2008, it caused a disruption across entire economies all around the world. Now, sure, the financial sector was the hardest hit, but everyone's confidence about the immediate future was shattered. People were completely disillusioned as to what was a safe investment, and it almost parallels back to 1929. And, you know, there is... We've talked about, I think, me and we cycles, and generally at the end of a, a me cycle, there's a mopping up period that goes on, and that's that's effectively um, what happened in 1929 when that was at the end of a, a me cycle in, in 1923, and as a result of that, it is a transition period into a we cycle, but it's generally the we cycle that will mop it up, and that's what happened in 1929. And likewise, in 2003, we came out of a, a me cycle, and there was a transition five years before and five years after, so 2008 was effectively the trigger point where the me cycle had to cope with and mop up the excesses of what happened towards the end of the the preceding me cycle. So it, it ought not to come as a surprise, but it did because I mean, there are very few people alive who were at an age to understand what happened in 1929. So therefore, it's a once-in-a-generation or, or, or lifetime probably more uh, experience. So the property markets collapsed, particularly the residential sector. Feeling with people was that their family wealth was under attack because the home collapsed in value and people chose to spend less and save more. And even as the Reserve Bank and other banks around the world reduced interest rates, people chose to either save even more or they paid more each month off their mortgages. The end result was that retailers were the major losers. I mean, their turnover figures fell dramatically because people simply weren't spending. And that is still not fully recovered. 
as evidenced by the almost perpetual sale signs that you see in shop windows. I mean, it's no longer the Christmas or Easter or winter sale or, or whatever. It's just continually there are sale signs, you know, up to 50% or in some cases up to 70% off, which, you know, going back 10, 12 years ago was unheard of. Now, on top of this, the retail sector has had to face both cyclical and structural issues as well. I mean, there's been significant population shifts around Australia as a result of the the mining boom coming to an end, at least as far, the mining boom as far as its massive investment phase is concerned. But on the positive side, Australia's overall population has continued to grow, which certainly improves consumer spending. Now, if we look at the structural elements, probably the biggest issue is Australia's ageing population. And retailers haven't yet fully grasped how to capture the dollars of retirees. You see, retirees' needs have shifted from buying or purchasing goods to purchasing services. Plus, they will not necessarily continue to dwell within their traditional retail catchment areas. Now, maybe it's making it too simple, but generally speaking, baby boomers will now start to live where they have holidayed and will holiday where they now live. In other words, there'll be a swap. If they've had a beach house or a country property, that's where they're going to spend most of their time. And that's where, if they're spending, they're going to spend most of their money. And they will either keep the the family home or if it's too big, will downsize to something in the same location, basically, because they feel comfortable. I mean, they've got doctors and friends and what have you in that location. So when they come to town to see their families, in other words, spend a short time, like a holiday, two, three weeks, maybe a month at a time, that's what they'll do. But the bulk of their time will be spent where traditionally they have previously holidayed. And then you've got the internet or online shopping, which is another structural change. And that sudden impact of online shopping and Australian retailers were not ready for it. I mean, they were caught totally by surprise, some of the most experienced retailers. And they're only now starting to adopt to new business models, and one of which is the clicks and bricks strategy. And that's where the store and the website are designed to work together to drive sales. But this is still only in its infancy here in Australia. And also, you've seen changes in consumer spending patterns since the GFC. They seem to have had an adverse effect upon department stores and fashion shops in particular, but have generally affected turnover across the board. I mean, you only have to read the headlines and you can see that department stores in the Western world have undergone what you might term an identity crisis. I mean, many of them have been been forced to merge or completely reinvent themselves with consumers' expectations 
having been changed by the ever-widening presence of online retailers, especially in the fashion and cosmetic cosmetics areas. Now, here in Australia, our two department stores, being Meyer and David Jones, are clearly feeling the pinch with the influx of foreign retailers like H&M, Zara, Uniqlo and, and others. And this culminated in the multi-million dollar takeover of David Jones by South Africa's Woolworths Holdings. So what we're saying is, and, and what we need to see, is, is a more innovation as far as retailers are concerned. I mean, the fact that they're having sales and still existing means that their profit margins were extraordinarily high and they haven't adapted. They've, their adaption is, let's undercut the next person, but that's the, you know, it's a race to get to the bottom as far as price cutting is concerned. And one of the key aspects of this department store evolution is creating a buying pathway with multiple channels and all of them integrated together to provide a seamless shopping experience for consumers. And maybe if I gave you perhaps just a a personal example of that, I think as most listeners know, I, I live in Geelong and I needed to buy three bookshelves because I wanted to um, get more storage space in in my office at at home. And so I thought IKEA would be a good good place to get them. And so I went online and they said, go to your nearest or closest store, which was Richmond in Melbourne. Now, you know, for me, that's the best part of an hour and a half's drive to get there. So I thought this is a lot simpler. And they, they... promoted a home delivery service. So I selected the, the three bookshelves and went to try and find the the checkout. Well, I, I, I got to the point where there was the summary, but there was nowhere to pay and it didn't seem right. So I rang up uh, IKEA and asked them, after telling them I was on their website, where is it that I pay? And they said, oh, but we don't take payment online you have to come into the store to do that and I said but I'm in Geelong I said that's the reason I'm, I'm online is to try and make my life easier and I wanted to have them delivered oh that's fine you just come in and pay and we'll deliver them I said well you know, if I'm coming up I may as well bring them back with me but I just didn't want the, the three hours out of a day to come up buy them and, and come back again they said well terribly sorry we don't offer that service and I, over lunch, I was just chatting with my, my wife, Jenny, and um, I said to her how stupid it was. She said, I remember someone in Geelong was offering a service of, of um, getting that for you or, or uh, providing, allowing you to buy IKEA goods. So anyway, I searched online and, and it came up with firm's name was Big Swedish. And so I got online there and they, they said, Print out your order that you've got from IKEA, email it to us, and we'll give you a quote to go up, buy, and personally deliver the goods to your home or your office, wherever it is in Geelong. Well, their quote was $20 more than what it would have cost for me to have 
them delivered if I was able to buy in line with IKEA. So uh, I transferred the money to their account and at four o'clock the following day they were delivered to my home. Now, I mean, that is just crazy. We're talking about an international retailer making it so hard for their customers to actually interact with them. So what it means is that retailers need to provide a platform where you have the same experience no matter which channel you may need or may choose to shop in. Okay, now let's quickly focus on on strip shopping areas around Australia. If department stores and the major chain retailers are suffering, that results in continual sales being run, as as we've discussed. And, And that's purely in an attempt by them to move stock and maintain turnover levels. Now, of course, this draws traffic away from suburban retailers, which are in the traditional strip shopping centres. Now, on top of this, retail spending for fashion has been severely impacted by some seasonal hot weather or unseasonal hot weather during the late winter and and early spring periods. And these continual sales campaigns may have kept turnover up, but it's been to the detriment of the profit for a lot of these retailers, and we're talking particularly in the suburban areas. However, the ABS figures confirm, as I mentioned earlier, that cafe and restaurant trade has surged, and it's been actually growing at more than 11% per annum. So the suburban centres have been suffering, some more than most, but the cafe and restaurant ones have stood out as the, the real winners over this period. Are you seeing the same things happening elsewhere? Apart from Sydney and Melbourne, retail vacancy rates have remained uncomfortably high, and that's probably mainly because of continual rental increases due to fixed annual increments that have been included in most retail leases. And these continue to outstrip turnover growth for most of the areas. And, and, and this is what really is starting to, to have an impact and will continue. In other words, the reason retail yields, selling yields, are low is because people anticipate continual growth. That's not going to happen for the reasons I've outlined. But the other reason for capital growth is incremental or increases in rent. Now, yes, they have occurred because of the lease structure, but they're artificial. They're not reflecting the market. And what's happening in a lot of cases is that as leases fall due, if landlords want to keep the tenants, they've got to recalibrate the rent and bring it back to a a more market-rated level. The problem in some cases is, and I was in Noosa recently, there's some landlords own four, five, six shops in a row. And the problem they've got is that if they drop the rent in one shop to keep a tenant on, they know straight away that as soon as the rent review comes up in the other four, five, six shops, 
those tenants are going to want the same reduction. So they've got a bit of a dilemma. So in some cases, they're choosing to leave the shop vacant rather than effectively reset the rent for the whole block of shops that they own. So it, it's it's not a an easy solution here, but it's something that has been brewing, if you like, for a while and brought to a head with the slowdown caused by the global financial crisis. What effect has the end of the mining boom had? I um, mentioned just before about the effect of population moves around Australia. And as the tradies who were drawn to WA in Queensland during the mining boom start returning to the non-mining states to gain employment, that obviously affects consumer spending in those states. And also the recent falls in the Australian dollar will provide a welcome boost to these mining states as they now enter their export phase. So it's not that the mining is ground to a halt, it's switched from the massive investment phase in equipment, plant and equipment, and it's now into the more traditional export phase, and that will benefit from the, from the falling dollar. But this probably won't equate to the same buoyant times that were experienced prior to the GFC. Is this just confined to the regional areas? Well, Ken, my definition of regional is a large area of population some distance from Australia's capital cities. And many of these have been quietly carving out their own identity over the past six, seven years. And that's been designed to attract disillusioned city dwellers. And many of these folks moving to these regional areas may still work within the capital cities and commute there by car or by train. And again, using Geelong as an example, to get from Geelong to Melbourne early in the morning on on the fast trains, it's about an hour's trip. If you went from, again, using Melbourne, Box Hill, which is a, a popular suburb, in Melbourne, it'll take you an hour and a half by car, which is totally unproductive. At least on the train, you can read the newspaper, you can catch up on podcasts uh, or, or whatever you want to do. But these people moving to the regional areas, they're wanting their families to grow up and enjoy a better, more relaxed lifestyle. As I said, Geelong, where, where I now live, yes, look, it shrugged off its industrial past. There is some transitional issues with people that are with the car industry closing, have lost their jobs and have to be redeployed. But it's starting to emerge as a university and high-tech research and development city. And currently, one in four homes are now purchased by Melbourne buyers. And as more people arrive, consumer spending increases, and retailers in these regional areas around Australia are the ones that are truly starting to reap the benefits. I realise this has been a a whistle-stop tour of retailing, but it has hopefully helped our listeners to better understand the reasoning behind your current thinking. Yeah, look, 
I'm not saying retail will never recover, but right now there are some major structural changes taking place and you need to be really careful in choosing the right property. Anyway, thanks, Chris, and um, I look forward to chatting with you next week.